Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. Our first reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, 4 through 8. I think you'll be able to see as it is read why this scripture might have been selected to accompany readings from John in which we're getting inundated with bread of life scriptures. Okay? but we're going to be talking about what led up to this story actually taking place. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Word of God, word of life. Please stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. Jesus said to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can, we now, how can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. You You may be seated. The sermon here is going to, I don't don't want to say not your typical sermon, so to speak, because that's not quite right. But a lot of times when I preach my sermon, I preach it in the way that I might approach a Bible study at the same time. Because let's be honest, how many people go to Bible studies as much as they think they should go to Bible studies? Judy, no laughing. No, 
We don't, right? For any number of reasons. Or how many of us are literate, understand the Bible as much as we think we should understand the Bible? We don't. We know snippets here and there. We know an overall message. But there is so much that we don't know or maybe we take for granted or we don't even know what's there because there is so much. So part of the way I approach sermons frequently is I know I need to approach things or give things in a way of a Bible study and not just as what might traditionally be uh, thought of as a proclamation or a sermon. We need to do some teaching and do some revealing of what is actually there. And so much of that is what's in the Old Testament as well. And to help understand better, maybe redevelop or re-understand, renew how we interpret or read or understand the Old Testament. Because when you really get at these stories, holy smokes, it is amazing. I don't know if amazing is the right word. Disturbing of what really is going on. And did God really tell the people to do these things? And if God really told the people to do these things, and that's really what we believe, then maybe it's easier to understand why such tragedies have been done later on in history as well. Because if God said it was okay to kill all these people back then, then it's probably okay if we believe God is on our side now to continue these tragedies. Does that make sense? And so what really is going on and how does that influence us today? And one way to look at it is that through that story of Elijah. Seems innocent enough, doesn't it? Elijah is tired. He's worn. He rests under a tree, and he's at the end of his rope. Right? People feel that way sometimes. You get to the end of your rope, and you cry out to God, I'm just done. God, do something. I need saving, right? And so on its surface, if we just get this portion of it, that seems innocent enough. And so what happens? Angels come down. They feed Elijah not once but twice, right? Cake baked on hot stones, a jar of water. God came and saved this great prophet Elijah so he can continue on his way. And so you can see why it accompanies this gospel lesson when we're in the middle of these John sayings in which it is, um, chapter 6 is, I am the bread of life. The people who put together the lectionary look for other readings in which God is providing bread to help or to save or to nurture God's followers, right? But here's really what's going on prior to Elijah getting to that point. And if... I, sometimes I had to say bringing up Game of Thrones because it is such a disturbing show and fascinating at the same time, right? But this could be taken right out of it again. Elijah prophet during the time of, I want to say, 900 BCE or so, right? In which uh, the Israelites have escaped. They've settled in the land of milk and honey. But let's remember the land of milk and honey was not empty. The Canaanites were there. And so that brings up a whole other disturbing aspect we're not going to deal with right now. But now the kingdom has separated into two. 
You have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And then there are other nations or other factions of people around at that time also. And whenever you have many factions of people or nations or groups that are in the same vicinity, there's going to be war, there's going to be violence, there's going to be chaos that has gone on. And so one way in which, in which you had the times of king and queens and before, a way in which you would broker peace between nations is that you would marry one person from one country or nation and one person from another country or nation, right? And so the Israel God was not the only God at that time uh, that was prevalent or to be worshipped, but you had the God of Baal, B-A-A-L. And so you had a King Ahab over Israel, the northern kingdom, married Princess Jezebel, who was part of a nation or group of people that worshipped Baal to try and bring peace between these two groups. Does that make sense? Track with me so far. Jezebel, being a follower of Baal, wanted to introduce more of her religion into the country and also to take power out of Jerusalem, which was kind of the head of everything at that point. And so what happens is that now you don't have to go to Jerusalem always to worship, but instead she allowed other smaller temples or worship sites to proliferate around the country, and they just, just didn't have to be to Yahweh, but they can now also be to the God of Baal. Elijah, who is now a prophet, prophesying against other worship of other gods, has an issue with this and is preaching out against the worship of Baal. And so what happens, challenges all the priests of Baal to whose God is most powerful. And the way they're going to do this is by each are going to sacrifice an animal, cut it up into little parts, build a fire for it, but don't light the fire, pray to the gods to light the fire. And whosoever gods light the fire, that God must be the true God. All right, so far? So the Baal priests go first, they sacrifice their animal, they cut it up, they put, build the wood around it, pray, and guess what happens? No fire. Now we have Elijah's turn. Does the same thing. Gathers the wood, puts it around, but now doesn't just pray to God to light the fire. The way the story goes, three separate times pours all this water on the altar, on the wood, on the animal. And then prays for the fire to be lit. And Elijah's fire is now lit. Then what happens? Elijah, this is really, really gets disturbing, gathers all the priests of Baal up, 150 of them. And the way the story goes in 1 Kings, he slaughters them all. Right? Pretty disturbing, isn't it? Jezebel is not happy. She now makes it her life's mission to do to Elijah what Elijah did to all of her priests. And Elijah runs for his life. It is at this point that we get our reading where Elijah is tired and worn goes underneath the tree, 
and says, God, I'm, I'm done. And then we get the story of God feeding him cakes baked on hot stones and a jar of water to nourish him so he can go on his way. As I read that, it changes a little bit about the way that I approach the story. Does it do that for anybody else? And so my goal here is not to say, or the point of the sermon, isn't so much to say, when you are worn and tired like Elijah, God is going to, right, turn to God your burdens and let God restore you. We could do that. But as I said, I want to talk more about almost like a Bible study. When we know about these things, how do we deal with them? Does that make sense? Because, and it's okay, did anybody know that story about Elijah prior to this? Ken did, right? Most of us do not. Can you understand why this isn't talked about in churches very often? Because what do we do with it? And yet, people have known these stories before in the past. We, people have known the story about the Israelites coming out into the land of milk and honey, but it's oftentimes glossed over that the land of milk and honey was occupied. Can you understand if this is what is, we believe about God? God is on our side. God has given us this. Hence, we can impose our will on you even to the point of death. Can you see how some tragedies, some genocides have been perpetrated in the past in the name of God? And is anyone else disturbed by that besides just me? How do we deal with that? Can we just dismiss it? Can we not? Can we just continue to ignore it? <laughs> That's easiest. Ignorance is ignorance is bliss. There's sometimes I'd rather not know things because once I know them, I have to deal with it, right? Once I know, I have to deal with it. The struggle we are in is not a new struggle. It's been going on for millennia right? Millennia is 1,000 years. This happened almost 3,000 years ago. Multiple millennia. How do we deal with it? In fact, this is where good news comes in. Other prophets that came after Elijah struggled with it also would look back and say, oh my gosh, is that really what God said to do? Were they really following God or Maybe were they, I like this. Peter Enns, one of the scholars that I follow, does a podcast, writes a book. Did God really tell them to do those things? Or did they believe God told them to do those things? Do you notice the difference there? Did God tell them that? Or did they just really believe God told them to do that? And that's one of the things that Peter N. says we need to be thinking about. And so we look at other scriptures. There's actually a passage in Hosea. Hosea is a prophet that came later on, about the 7th century. 
that look back. And I think I've written down, and this is what the prophet Hosea says. Hosea 1.4, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the house of Israel. Now those are names, Jehu and Jezreel, that you probably don't know. But there are other atrocities done by Jehu, which was a student of Elijah, to the house of Jezreel, the house of Jezebel. And Hosea is looking back and saying, Israel's going to be punished for what they did back then. That was not right. Does that make sense? So here within Scripture, we have a group of people doing what they believed God thought was right, atrocities, and then later on in Scripture, we have people that are saying what they did wasn't right. So if you are in the midst of that struggle, you are in good company. The question then becomes, what do we do with it? This is why we don't just say, look, the Bible says it, I believe it, that ends it. Has anybody ever heard that before? If we do that, we can take these passages, passages about violence or whatever that Elijah did and say, but see, that's what God wanted to do. They were just following God's orders. Hence, we're justified in what we want. Nobody uses God to justify their actions today, do they? Do you see why we need to actually look at these passages and have a better understanding of what to do with them? We look at all of Scripture to help understand it. Scripture to interpretate Scripture. Luther would talk about a canon within a canon. Not a canon to shoot, right? A canon being an accepted set of books that we give authority in our lives. The Bible is our canon, an accepted set of books that we give authority to. And Luther talked about within that accepted set of books, it's not all equal. That is a very Lutheran thing we need to understand. Not all scripture is equal. Does that make sense? You may not have to agree with it, but do you understand it? That there's two different things I'm asking there. Not all scripture is equal. There is some that is more important than others. Which do you think is more important? The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Or kill all the followers of Baal. Which one seems to have more influence in our world today? Exactly. When we take scripture, everything is equal. It is much easier, I almost... Does it make it easier to pick and choose what we want to reinforce what we want? Anybody here confirmation bias? You find what you want to believe to reinforce what you already believe? That doesn't happen in the world today at all, does it? Rather, how do we use Scripture 
the overarching narrative story of God's love and love for the world ultimately and most fully revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to help interpret everything else that is going on. How do we use the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to interpret everything else that is going on? We need to understand the Bible is written by people trying to understand who they are and who God is in their life. Now, it is different than other books. We do give it authority, right? We also understand we've talked about this. The Word of God has different meanings behind it. You can have the Word of God, you know, uh, words of Jesus, Word of God that way. We can have Word of God, the Bible itself, and believe it or not, the proclamation, what I'm doing now at some levels referred to as the Word of God. Scripture is the word of God, and yet it doesn't mean that everything is the literal word of God. Same way when I preach, it might be the word of God, but it is not the literal word of God, correct? So we need to own and understand the stories from the past and know how we deal with them so we don't simply repeat what has gone on, even though internally we know it is so horribly wrong. Saying God is on my side. That's pretty arrogant of us to think. We should always be asking, how am I on God's side, not how do I bring God to me. How might I change to be part of what God is doing, what God has going on, that is talking about love. They shall know we are Christians by our love, not by they shall know we are Christians by our judgment. They shall know we are Christians by our hypocrisy. We shall know we are, we are Christians by our, you fill in any other words, that generally is what Christians are known for today. We are known, right? They will know we are Christians. They, are, they will know we are followers of Jesus by our love. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.